You never know what's around the corner when it comes to compliance in the hospitality industry. Luckily, Principal Design are leaders in sustainable packaging and can advise your cafe, restaurant or venue on the right choices without compromising on branding. You don't have to sacrifice design that sells for packaging that fills the land. Speak to Principal Design today and learn about the great packaging options available for your food and bed business. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's show... Welcome to a very special episode of the podcast where we delve deep into the world of packaging design and sustainability. Our panel discussion today is inspired by a theme that resonates with us all, transparency. Brought to you by Principal Design in collaboration with Poe, we're exploring how to change an industry and consumer behaviours alike as we all step towards a more sustainable future. In this panel discussion, we delve deep in looking at the regulations set to shake up the packaging ecosystem and how we should navigate this change while maintaining brand integrity. Our esteemed panel, composed of Jess Egan from Principal Design, Gary from Anchor Packaging, Lucy Piper from Work for Climate, myself from Open Pantry Consulting and all hosted by Leon Kennedy from the Mulberry Group, we dissect the packaging pipeline and engage in a lively discussion about the new laws and their profound effect on design, visuals and thinking. So if you're ready to explore the next chapter of sustainable packaging, let's unpack it, buckle up and let's dive in. We hope you enjoy this special bonus episode. Started. Everyone, everyone comfortable? Everyone ready? Yeah, a few nods. Awesome. Good to go. Nice. Okay. Welcome, everybody. I just want to start with an acknowledgement of country. So, on behalf of Principal Design and our panelists here today, I respectfully acknowledge that we are meeting on the traditional land of the Wurundjeri, and I pay my respects, or we pay our respects to the elders, both past and present, and elders from other communities who may be here today. So, I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Leon Kennedy. I'm the CEO of the Mulberry Group here in Melbourne. I should talk about my journey in the hospitality sector. So I've been in hospitality basically my whole life. My dad was a chef, so grew up in kitchens and then worked in hospitality ever since I left high school. I've had a bunch of businesses, worked as a consultant, done a whole stack. Hospitality is basically the blood in my veins. I have a, also, I have some involvement with the Principle of Hospitality podcast probably not as much as Sean would like me to have and I definitely also I work for Automentum so I'm employed there as a as a hospitality consultant although my workload as the CEO at the Mulberry Group kind of keeps me pretty busy so I don't get to do as much with those guys as I would like. I guess what would be really good to do is just discuss a little bit about why we're here um, and just give you guys a little bit of an overview for this conversation. So Effectively, I'm pretty sure you guys all know why we're here because you bought tickets. But basically, we just want to have an open dialogue around the hospitality sector and how it's affected by the packaging legislations that have recently come into place in Victoria. Basically, we want to discuss what does the ban mean for Victoria. We want to understand what people can purchase and what they can't. The panel today is going to really endeavour to unpack the regulations effect on branding, packaging, design, staff training, responsibilities, waste management, packaging companies, and sustainable alternatives and resources available to businesses. So I hope you guys all did more homework than I did. And yeah, and basically the intended outcome is just to gain some insights for how we cope with these changes in a new world. I'm gonna introduce the panelists now and get you guys to speak a little bit about yourselves, if that's okay. We're gonna start with Gary. I'm gonna totally mess up your surname. Is it? Lamacchio, Lamacchio, cool. All right, that's a pretty neat name there. Gary, you've got a track record of developing businesses and being involved in business operations and ownership across a really wide scale, as I just found out. How has your journey been with Anchor Packaging and as a as a BDM? And how does what does your role involve? 
BDM for Anchor Packaging. Prior to joining Anchor two years ago, I was an owner of my own hospitality venues, ranging from burger and shakes cafes to more your traditional brunch cafes. I moved out of, as I was saying to Leon, I moved out of the hospitality game, and now instead of purchasing those items, I'm selling food packaging to, funnily enough, distributors that I used to buy off. My journey's been really good. During COVID, it was very difficult because we all experienced a lot of stock issues coming from overseas, shipping costs went through the roof, mm. and everyone was takeaway only. We thought it would be busier, but in fact, we actually had a decline. Basically, yeah, I look after a whole variety of different industries from food distribution services to coffee roasters, retail chains, my role is just to develop my existing base of current accounts just to grow them organically whilst also hunting for new business opportunities just to grow ranges and to handle them to our distributor channel or deal with them directly. So it's safe to say you would be pretty under the pump right now? Yeah, yeah. we're always under the pump. Awesome. Uh, we have a lot of competitors, we sure. have pricing, just up and down every day, every week. Cool. Um, Oh, look, I reckon it'll be great to hear some insights around the back end of the packaging and some of the mechanics around that. Yeah, cool. We'll circle back for sure. Hey, Jess, going to jump to you next. Jess Egan, welcome. Yeah, similarly to Gary, you've come up through the industry in a very diverse array of things. Working at Cleminger, Bolster, now you're the GM at Principal Design. Pretty cool journey there. Can you just tell us a little bit, how did, how did designers play a role in making the world a better place? Just give you a nice easy one to start with. <laughs> Look, design is in everything we do. Um, there are different types of designers, and I think it is part of the process and it's part of the responsibility as a designer to ensure that we are doing the right thing. We are bringing the clients on board, we're meeting the brief, but we have a responsibility around that sustainability and around that climate discussion to be had. And I think we can play a really nice middle part in helping to design that, but also educating forwards and also working backwards to ensure that it all works out. Yeah, amazing. Great answer. Cool. Going to go to Lucy Piper next. Lucy, welcome. You've got a career that contributes toward climate justice, which is pretty rad. You have also been part of the creative world. So what inspired you to change from the creative world and, and jumping into something that you're so passionate about? Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Lucy Piper. I run a platform called workforclimate.org. We're a not-for-profit. Thank you for the introduction. I just figured out tonight that Jess and I started off at the same place like a, a long time ago. I was also in the advertising industry at Clemenger BBDO. We were there at the same time. I oh went wow. into branding on the client side instead of continuing down that advertising agency pathway. And after 10 or so years working for a client, really wanted to pursue climate solutions and figuring out if there was a way I could utilize my skills to help drive climate action. And what we do at Work for Climate is help individuals figure out how they can use their skills to drive systems change and figure out where the most appropriate intervention is for them. And the thing I'm really excited about here in this conversation, and Jess, you just touched on it, is the idea that designers and creative thinkers will create the most brilliant solutions to the wicked problem that we face in climate change. So I'm really excited to be a part of this. Amazing, thanks for being here. Okay, cool, we're gonna jump over to Sean. I still, I've known you for that long, I still can't pronounce your surname. Can you help me out? DeVries, awesome, Sean DeVries. So you are a man of many experiences in the hospitality world, debatable, mainly the operations and development of it. Um, can you just elaborate a bit? Tell us about Open Pantry, 42 days. Tell us how it supports business owners. Cool, thanks for that intro, Leon. The only reason Leon can do that with me is because we know each other so well. <laughs> so a bit like Leon, I've been lucky to be in the industry for all my life as well, so that's now 25 years. I've been lucky enough to be a baker when I first started off, so I've worked with Baker Delight, Grilled, Centuro, a lot of other brands and independents as well. Born and bred in Adelaide, so don't hold that against me. But I've been lucky enough to live in Brisbane and Perth and Vancouver as well, and been in Melbourne the last 10 years. Co-founder of Principal Hospitality, the podcast, which Leon is a sometimes host. Always a fantastic host, but does a great job with us. In a couple of weeks, we would have released 250 podcasts, which we're really happy about. Boom. Shout out to Sash in the back corner for being the co-founder with that, and Diane in the back doing the video, always the supporter. 
what we do in regards with Open Pantry Consulting and what we've had for the last five years is we work with hospitality brands to either start up or scale up, helping them in operations around people, process, and place. So anything to do with recruitment and training, operations and systems, um, and anything to do to make sure that the venue that they're actually starting or scaling is the right one for them to actually do. So it puts a lot of thought into that. And 42 days is something we focused on the last six months or so, which focused on the first six weeks of someone's journey with inside a hospitality business. How do we recruit, onboard, train, and then retain them into hospitality businesses, making sure we can do that. So we believe in sustainability of people, as well as sustainability of environment, like we'll talk about tonight. Amazing, thanks mate. Let's jump into it. Really, int- really keen to ask you guys some questions. I, just before we do, I think it would be good to leverage the fact that this is a pretty small room. And I think it would be really good to just get a sense from you guys, like what are the topics that you want us to stick to? Because we got like pages of stuff and we're never going to get through it all. So we're going to go off script a little bit. Let's just do a quick poll, right? So I'm going to ask you guys to raise your hands. You can raise your hand more than once, but who here is looking to get really key information about say the legislation? Couple people, okay. So we won't touch on that too much. Uh, what about in terms of sustainability and just broadly impacting the industry, both hospitality, anything packaging relating design? Lots of about sustainability. Cool, Lucy, you're gonna have a lot to say here. And lastly, what about just education from a design? I'm guessing like most of you guys in this room are creatives and designers, right? Is anyone in here not really in that industry? Something different? No, you're all nodding your heads, great. So is it an appetite to be understanding a bit more about like the education side of it and how you should be basically speaking to clients and whatnot? Show of hands for that one. Awesome. So education, sustainability. Got it? Wicked. All right. So legislation. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. For the couple people. Yeah. The industries. Yeah. So maybe we'll tie that into the education bit. Yeah. Nice. We're running on the fly. Gary, I'm going to start with you, mate. Can you just tell us, just give us a quick overview of just of the legislation, essentially. So what are the types of products that are banned specifically? What does it mean for hospitality businesses in terms of compliance and available alternatives? Probably stick to the latter half of that question yeah. more if you can. Okay, no, that's fine. Victoria introduced the single-use plastic ban in February of this year. I also look after parts of New South Wales, Albury and those regions and their ban came into effect in November. So I was actually ahead of what Victoria was in getting my head around the ban. Victoria was the last. Yeah, Victoria is the last, basically the last state in Australia to come into effect with that ban. The the products that are being banned is basically anything expanded polystyrene, so foam trays, containers, cups, plastic cutlery, plastic (coughs) straws, plastic plates. They've been banned. We've dis- we discontinued the ranges as a company a long time ago, just so we could get customers accustomed to moving towards wooden cutlery, paper straws. I know n- we can all say to say none of us like those products. It's hard to eat out of wooden cutlery, but legislation requires us to do wooden cutlery. You're saying you guys jumped ahead of the curve and started to do... We had both ranges. We had plastic, yep. we had PSA, PSA and PSM plastics, yep. cutlery, but then we had wooden cutlery also, but we never pushed it as far okay. now. Yep. So we discontinued those ranges and just focused on wooden cutlery, paper straws, sugar cane, which is made of pot plates and bowls, which is made entirely of sugar cane. Can I ask, man, was your motivation to start stocking those products, was it from a from the perspective of the company has a mission around sustainability or was it more out of... Yeah, our company's focus is based around supplying sustainable and environmentally friendly products. Yep. So all of our products are 100% recyclable or compostable. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Can I ask, like, I feel like one, from my experience as a consumer, is that when you think about, like, packaging, any words like sustainability and compostable need to be in very heavy quotes. Absolutely. And there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Yeah. yeah. Just using those keywords alone yeah. during a conversation when pitching to a, a consumer yep. is a very powerful tool. And yeah. Everyone is, everybody is visual, especially when we go to hospitality venues, we like looking at how nice that salad looks in that craft bowl and things like that. But 
if it has a green line around it, it's more sustainably friendly, the writing on the packaging, but a lot of, all the packaging companies that are out there now have a heavy focus on sustainability because that's, sure. that's the future direction. Yeah, got it, amazing. Okay, I'm going to ask Jess a question. Can you tell us, obviously this legislation has, you know, it's having a pretty big impact for many industries. Can you say, what is Principal Design's response to this switch? Like, why is branding in packaging so important here? I think our response is, it's a positive response. It's amazing to see this change. We're really curious still, though, what's going to come out of that. So what are the next steps to have that from the book? <clears throat> I think a couple of things is that the use of plant-based products to help us that you're able to use, the paper as well, it doesn't work as well as what we had beforehand. So the user experience is different. So the way that we are getting to tangibly touch that, the way we're drinking it, if you have a straw, paper straw, you've got it in your drink for long enough, it's going to potentially stop working for you. And I think that's incredibly important for us as we start to look at as designers, is how do these, what's going to happen with these products, what is going to come through that's going to enable us to be doing designing and branding particularly in this space. Branding for packaging is incredibly important. We always say for the hospitality is one of the best businesses for a brand. They know that if you are going to open up a new a new restaurant or a new cafe, that if it doesn't look good, nobody is going to come in. It is a matter of fact. And I think from that branding perspective, that is how you tailor what your messaging, how you are perceived to your audience. And I think when it comes to that packaging design, particularly in the food packaging, it affects the perception of what the quality or what the taste of that food is going to be like. Because if you see something in some packaging and you think, I can't see the whole thing, I don't know what that looks like, you're potentially not going to pick it up. Mm. Or if you pick it up and you think, oh, the packaging is soggy, I'm not going to purchase that. So it does play an effect on the revenue yep. that a business can make. Yep. It's really important that businesses have that opportunity to put their branding on there. That's one of the biggest assets any business can have is their brand. So it's really important that we have that ability to be able to do those things. One of the problems that we currently have with it is that we, the outcome of printing or using that packaging isn't what it used to be, and that's amazing to be able to play in that innovation space and test it, but the inks are different. Mm. To make it compostable, you have to use plant-based inks. The products that you're printing on don't necessarily replicate how you would like it to or how you might have been able to control it in the past. So that's an important part that we're curious about because mm. it's a really great space to be playing in trying to make it work but it is also our role to educate the clients to say hey you can't have it like that these yep. are the products we've got this is where we can play with at the moment you need them to change yeah. so do you um, it's, it's an evolution i think it's going to continue to move yeah so can i uh, so question without notice yeah. can i just ask just based on what everyone is looking to learn about tonight it's great that you guys have a positive response to what i could probably crudely describe as a massive pain in the ass to everyone in your industry. Why is your response so positive? I think it's always about learning. Okay. We all need to learn continually. We all need to innovate. We want to be doing the right thing. Yes. We want to be able to be supporting our clients with doing the right thing and going down a pathway that is going to be good for the environment. It's going to be good for their business to be on board. So I see it as a challenge that is exciting. Yep. I think that's why I look at it from a positive perspective. Yes, it is difficult, but if we don't innovate and we don't disrupt or we don't change, we end up with the same thing forever. Mm. And one, that's not good for the climate or the environment, and two, that gets boring. Yeah. So from a design perspective, I think that's an exciting space to be in, to be mm. able to be going through this pathway in 10, 15, 20 years' time. It'll be the norm. Yeah, sure. And it's so nice to be part of how that gets, that evolves. Yeah. Love that. That's amazing. Um, and I think that's really transferable for anyone, no matter where you work. It's yeah. like when you have to deal with the inconvenience, you can find some motivation in the fact that you're doing the right thing. And you never know what you're going to come up with until you get the inconvenience. If you disrupt it, you never would necessarily go and find this new amazing idea or this new amazing direction because you didn't have to beforehand. So mm. in some ways, I think that's why it's pretty exciting as well. Yeah, amazing. Sean, you're up. Uh, this switch definitely affects the way staff and consumers dispose their packaging. Do hospitality businesses have access to any waste reduction initiatives that support this switch from a day-to-day -day operations perspective? I think that's a really easy question. Well, I would say no. All right. Really. Yeah. I think if we look at City of Melbourne, like City of Melbourne has probably done the most in this space to a degree. Before the pandemic, I was running a brand which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, which is called Laneway Greens, which you might remember used to have a 
salad venue in Flinders uh, in Exhibition Street, which was doing amazing things around food waste and making sure we were fully circular. And into Grave Street, they have a, a waste facility which allows you to put all your excess food waste, have compactors to basically make you a, a circular venue all around the place. Other councils don't have the facilitation to do that. They don't have the amount of hospitality venues to do that. So I think we're talking tonight about having really good conversations about doing the right thing and probably doing the, the thing which the state, um, the state which has the most regulations in place, which is probably WA at the moment, like doing that with the end in mind. But we need to think about the waste stream as well. And the waste stream is so confused from council to council. So we need to think about that from a high football place like City of Melbourne and how they think about their food waste streams, but then how other waste streams are done in other councils as well. I know where we are in Stonington, like it's yeah. Absolutely awful. And we're in an apartment building, which means we can't do green waste. There's just such confusion amongst the market. So I think we need to talk about the waste streams as well. Sure. As we talk about the good work that we're trying to do in sustainable packaging. You talk about Laneway Greens, and they're obviously an amazing example of a hospitality business trying to make the world a better place. Yes. But unfortunately, they're probably in the single digit percentile of hospitality businesses that are similarly motivated. Correct. Can you maybe speak a little bit to the rest of the industry and the appetite they might have for changes like this? I think as the industry becomes even more competitive, founders have to make sure they can share their story. And luckily enough, there's a lot of hospitality businesses which look to things like B Corp, like Market Lane Coffee, for example, mm. and have that really altruistic vision of what they want to do in regards to sustainability and environmentalism. Those brands will really care about it, but I think other brands are really just trying to keep up with what is currently in market and what they have to do, as well as what they think will least affect their brands and least cost it. When I think about the cost that Laneway Greens put into mm. the circular economy, doing biopack um, in order to go and do commercially compostable, take it off, and I went to their facility, take it a long way away to go and be compostable in a commercial way, and for the payment that we would be charged, extra on top of every other waste stream to do a good thing that we thought was right with our values was extreme. And who pays for that? The consumer. Mm. But then at the end, which is the right thing to do, but then it, there's a tipping point with that. There's only so much that you can charge for a bowl of salad when you're paying people correctly. Yeah. And you're caring about your experience and you're wanting to do the right thing. So there's this challenge and push and pull between cost doing the right thing and how that ends up with the end consumer. So yeah, great response. Th these guys are the ones that have to be dealing with mm. those people in that industry as clients, right? And yeah. I, I think if I could add anything to your answer there, I would, I would explain that I think there's lots of people in hospitality that genuinely do want to do the right thing. Yeah. They genuinely are altruistic in nature. They want the world to be a better place, yeah. but they're very much constricted by this thing called a P&L and unfortunately margins in hospitality are usually paper thin yep. and often it just comes down to affordability yep. and so in a situation like that sometimes you can talk all the logic in the world it's not going to change the fact that they just aren't making money it's a common joke in the hospitality industry if you want to lose money open up a venue yeah yeah it's the worst place to put your money really and before the pandemic sustainability was talking about this a lot more and since the pandemic sustainability is keeping the doors open so now we have to do both. Yep. Both are incredibly important, but we have to have a sustainable business as well as making sure we're doing the right thing by the environment in the same respect. Yeah. But that goes to this kind of impact here about yeah. having to change the packaging that they're using yeah. means that they have to have the sort of operational follow through to yes. be able to do that. So it's another cost on the business or the consumer in the long run. Yeah to be able to do that. So although the change is for good and all the change is something that needed to happen, there is a really big knock-on effect. Absolutely. Um, the whole way through from business through the consumer. Yeah, plus yeah. there's a training component. Mm. I remember when I was at Laneway, we were talking about the circular economy that we were doing and saying we were zero waste and everything. And people did not believe us. They did not believe us. Yeah. And that's because potentially they don't trust councils and governments for doing the right thing in the world. But we were mm. definitely doing the right thing. Trust me, it cost us a lot of money to do the right thing. And we were wanting to. So I think that education is incredibly important as well. Yep, awesome, thank you. Can I quickly say something that's never been said yeah. in the history of the planet? Please. I'm gonna speak on behalf of regulation. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever does. Do you wanna think this <laughs> through first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the intervention. <laughs> no, but I'm just thinking about, hands up 
anyone in this room who really loves plastic and thinks it's a good thing, like big picture, zero hands, right? We're all on the same journey and we all want the same end game, right? So plastic is bad, we need it to end. Day to day in business, it's really freaking hard and it's gonna add cost. And so what regulation does is it levels the playing field and it means that everyone yeah. has to figure it out. So yep. everyone's cost is going higher. It's mm. not a competitive thing that is right. happening. That is why we need regulation. It makes it very hard, but it forces us to think about the change and it forces us to find a way through. And we actually, we need regulation in so many areas right now globally. But the fact that this is coming in, it, yes, it pushes the logistics and the strategic planning to the level that we don't know what the answer is now, but it creates rooms full of people like this where we all go away and think, okay, we don't have a choice. Yeah. Like we don't have a choice. So I love that. Never speaking on behalf of regulation. Again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's gold because I think if I'm a designer and I'm trying to talk to this cafe operator or roastery or something like that, and they're not feeling it, and they're just complaining about money, It's that's a dime. Yeah. To be able to say, hey, you know what, yeah, you gotta wear this cost, but so does every one of your competitors. Yeah. It's yeah. not just a you thing. Also, eventually, say they could continue to use plastic, consumers will pick up on that. Sure. They will pick up on it and go, hey, we should be using plastic. Yeah, there's gonna be a shift. Or does this. Yeah. So maybe we'll come and look at that, and then they're behind, they're behind already. Yeah. So we all need to keep up, yep. um, and I think, I'm not the only person who finds keeping up exciting, but there is this thing around, it is a change, it is something we have to continually be doing. We yeah. have to be in that mindset of we're constantly learning to do something differently. Yeah, amazing, thank you. So you're gonna open up a massive can of worms here with you, Lucy. I love it. Can you just briefly talk about how controlling plastic pollution has a direct effect on climate? Yeah, I can. Does anyone in the audience wanna offer does anyone understand why plastic's really bad for the climate? Our oceans are completely decimated. Yeah. We're going to be eating that. Yeah, yeah, already are. But I think we're all kind of part plastic. But basically, plastic, and I apologise because I'm explaining to a group of professionals who probably already understand this. Plastic is a byproduct of two really friendly industries, the fossil fuel industry and the chemical industry. So great guys. And so plastic is a byproduct of that. And those two industries are incentivized by their P&Ls to create more and more plastic, which is why single use plastic became a thing in like the 70s, because there was so much money to be made from it. But the extraction and the creation of plastic from oil, that puts emissions into the atmosphere then you have the, the processing, the manufacturing, whatever the plastic is getting made to, every part of that has its own kind of emissions and byproducts. Then you have consumers who are using the plastics, they're getting rid of the plastics. Plastic, when it's breaking down, has its own kind of emissions that, that happen over time. But then obviously the real problem with plastic is that most of it is not recyclable. Most plastic ends up in landfill, it ends up being burnt, incinerated, creating like black carbon, which is 5,000 times worse emissions than our general CO2 emissions. And like you said, it ends up in the ocean. It's pretty bad. Awesome, nice. I, in preparation for today, I went down a YouTube wormhole about plastic and the conspiracy theory aspects to it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I thought it was amazing how I was watching these things going, these aren't conspiracy theories at all. This is legit. Like, it's, there was so much stuff in there about how basically recycling plastic is not a thing, right? Like, even that there are types of plastic that theoretically can be recycled, they never ever get recycled because the cost of recycling them is more than it costs to just produce new shit. Well, the fact that it's not clean. Got you. Unless you wash your packaging, yep. you wash it and you put it in your recycling bin, and hopefully it doesn't get picked up any other dirt from anywhere else, it doesn't get recycled. Uh, I think there's a stat 9% of our recycling actually gets recycled. The rest goes into landfill or gets burnt. Got so it. You're almost, the two bins that we're using at home, yeah, it's, like, what's the it's point? almost one bin. Yeah. And effectively, the, I guess the more conspiracy theory aspect of it is that they're just lying to us. 
and they're spending a lot of money to do it. And it's very eerily similar to the whole tobacco thing. And so I guess... And the whole fossil fuel thing. Yeah, yeah. Just more rich people fucking it up for everyone. So how do we deal with this? Like, how do you have hope for a decarbonised future? That is such a great question. And it's one that I ask myself every day when I get up. Because you asked me at the start, oh, how cool you get to work on your passion. Mm. Like, working on solving the climate crisis is not my passion. Like, I worked in the creative industries and I got to travel the world and make cool films. That was my passion. I really love that. But I'm working on this problem because I do have hope that it is something that society can overcome. And meeting people every day who are working on solutions and figuring out, like, we have this wicked problem. How are we going to solve it? We don't have the money, but we are going to do it. We're going to come together as an industry. And I speak to lots of different industries who are trying to grapple with the challenges of decarbonisation. And I think often of a diagram that was explained to me, it's just kind of three concentric circles of how change happens. And in the middle, the the smallest circle is individuals. And then the circle outside of that is community. And then the edge of that is politics and policy. And so I think of how can I, as an individual in my work, find the most powerful interventions to create change and to educate people about what the most powerful interventions are that they can have as an individual, to have that knock-on effect to community or in the space that I work, it's corporate. So how can an individual influence corporation? How can a corporation lobby for the political environment, regulation that will allow them to change the way that they're doing business. So I have hope because it starts with individuals and it starts with people like us in this room. Love that. So motivated by the fact that you can create change on an individual level and see it grow from there. I want to circle back to that. Remind me to. What I also heard... What I also heard in that, though, is that there's a little bit of hope that you get from seeing how many amazing people are out there trying to innovate and solve these problems. Mm. Are you familiar with the concept of wizards and prophets? Have you heard about this before? No, tell me. Just for everyone's benefit here, there's a guy, I can't remember his name, Charles Mann or something, he wrote it. It was a really cool book. And basically what he says is that in the world, there's two types of people, right? There's the prophets. And what the prophets say is that there's a finite amount of resources on the planet and eventually it's going to run out unless we act really, right? And then there's the wizards that kind of go, yeah, but technology is just going to solve for that. It has all the time and some smart people are going to work it out. And I feel like what you're saying is that you have a lot of exposure to those smart people that are working it out to the point where it motivates you. So I'm just playing devil's avocado here. Why should I worry if they're going to fix it? I agree that both those groups exist and they're like, we can solve problems. We have, we've got to go through an industrial revolution. We have to transform our energy system to make everything renewable energy. We've done it before. We have been through three industrial revolutions, right? But this is the first one we've ever had to do within a set amount of time. Like we've got a time limit. So the wizards who can create the technological solutions and the thinking that is going to create those solutions like we we can't purely rely on that given the time frame that we're working on so i think that i would like to hedge my bets got it and work with both those groups and be like okay yeah you guys go over there work on the solutions fully back it and yep. at the same time let's solve the problems that we can solve in terms of the way that we live like we've got to waste less shit mm. hyperconsumption is really bad and i think that's something that we are all a part of solving that's what this conversation is about isn't it and i think that hospitality as an industry has the potential to be the first industry that can completely do this successfully because it's the only thing that you're not making like a shitty junk product you're making something you're creating something food drink experiences that are essential to human life so as much of the waste material and the waste production that we can eradicate from that, like this is the core industry. And once we do it here, then other industries can take that lead. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's an awesome answer. Just the first part about just don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So I'm just gonna 
let Lucy hog the mic for a sec. Let's go back to that other part of the question, which is that you're really motivated by the opportunity you have to drive change on an individual level. And obviously that's what you do, right, at Work for Climate. So can you tell us a bit about that? How do you do that? Yeah, basically what we do is we try and teach people how they as individuals can tap into those, like the things that I was saying. We teach them about, okay, you're a human being inside of a company, but just because you're one person, it doesn't mean that you can't drive change. So we teach people to leverage their own leadership skills, if you like, but then we kind of couple that with educating them on the critical things that need to happen inside of businesses, like what needs to change. There is a lot of stuff that happens, it's like a distraction inside companies, but there's really some very critical shifts. And what we do is we teach people what those critical shifts are, and then we help them build a business case and find a few people inside their companies to work with and to start solving problems like mm. at a systems level. So it companies. sounds like that would be super easy to measure. Can you give us an example of what do you hang your hat on? What's do you give us a success story? Yeah, I, you do sound like my boss. <laughs> asking that question and I love it because it's quite challenging. So what we're looking for in terms of success, like how will I know in five years time if Work for Climate has been successful? We know based on big companies making commitments and taking actions towards them. For example, like if we're working with a professional or a small group of professionals inside a big company like a Microsoft or a Salesforce, a win, success for us is okay, Microsoft have created a climate safe superannuation fund for their employees and that's been like an employee led initiative. Or wow. Salesforce have successfully switched to 100% renewable energy across their global supply chain. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Amazing. That's awesome. Thank you. So I'm going to switch a little bit now and ask about some education. Jess, Gary, directing this to you, want to basically know a little bit about when it comes to educating and helping clients in hospitality make the switch. Can you guys speak to that a little bit? I think we've covered a bit of that. So maybe just give us if there's anything you want to add. In our instance, from a design perspective, we would start by having a conversation with a client, but then we'd be having a conversation with somebody like Gary, because we'd be like, we have, at the moment, we've got a takeaway container. So if we've got the takeaway containers, we need to brand it. We want it to look like this. What can it actually tangibly look like? What products have we got? What are the materials that we've got to use? There were some samples on the table over there that Gary's in on some of these packaging items that we can use. The way, they're not the same as I mentioned beforehand. So we have to have those conversations to say, what have you got? What can we make? If we want to make something bespoke, how easy is it for us to design this really unique shape and actually get it manufactured and have it sustainably produced and then it, it actually makes the requirements where it can be sustainably used later down the track. So from that perspective, we all start that design thinking, we start those conversations, we have to have the conversation with somebody like Gary mm. to say, actually, how feasible is it to right. do this? And then Gary can go through the types of products because the products are different. Yeah, but it's yeah, effectively different. it's understanding the logistics behind it so that it gives people a sense of scale as to just how to deal with yeah, it. It's yeah, it's a sense of scale, but it's also, particularly if you come to a studio like Principal Design, you're coming for a particular level of design and you're wanting some packaging, you're wanting the design to be as strong as it possibly can. And often in moving into sustainable products at the moment, it can affect the quality of that packaging or that design. And you don't want it to, but because we're in this new era where that packaging is new products, new materials, it's a little bit of a testing work. Yeah, we've got to figure it out. Awesome. Gary, anything on that? Yeah, we just basically try to educate our cons our clients, whether it's through the distribution channel or the end use of the retail venues, just to keep them informed of the types of products that they're allowed to use, yep. what types, certain types of plastic is banned, and then just, as Jess alluded to, just going through product by product, because we might get a customer that says, hey, I want a single wall coffee cup. My next question would be, is that a PE lined coffee cup or a PLA lined coffee cup? Got it. What's the difference? Yeah, yeah. Plant-based and compostable, the other one's only 100% recyclable. Sure. So it's just keeping everyone up to date with what the legislation is at yep. the time. Trying to help them navigate. Just, yeah, just all trying those. to help them navigate. Yep. And as Jess mentioned, you might have a salad chain that 
wants to brand and they've got their heart set on using sugar cane products mm. but it's you can't print on that because right. the, the vegetable ink leaks through yeah. into the sugar cane so mm. it's hard for the design team to, to come up with sure sure
the kids that go and get their frogets, they love mm. the plastic straws, they want to keep them. So yeah, it's like I'm all, all for it as well, you yes. know what I mean? So it's something that we're not limited to as well, yep. in terms of just the generic range. Yeah. I think a lot of people, it's expensive. It is. It's incredibly expensive. It is. So it custom making designs, don't get me wrong, any designer wants to custom make a piece of branding or packaging for you, don't. but the cost becomes prohibitive sometimes. And particularly if you're doing this sort of stuff, so it means those guys yeah. will be able to afford no, it. You're, and you're right. But it might um, come down in price over time. Everything, in we'll touch on this a little bit later, but you've already alluded to it. Everything comes down to people, right. especially with hospitality venues, because yeah. I know I've experienced how fine you cut it. But custom branding, believe it or not, because there's actually a high MOQ, like a minimum order yeah. that you need to order. The pricing to brand your product is actually cheaper than buying it as a solo carton. But you have to buy, but you have to buy <laughs> 30 cartons as opposed to one. Yeah, yeah. Well, which means smaller than Yeah. Unless you guys at Anchor start storing it for people we and do. let them draw down. Do. Yeah. Awesome. We, Any interest we, we on we that? Offer that? Yeah, we do a lot in the custom print space. Awesome. And we offer the free storage, so that's drip feeded as they need it. Amazing. Leo, if I can say as well, like challenges we're talking about tonight, like they're really hard. We're trying to solve, we're, as an industry, as a hospitality industry, we're trying to solve big problems with people. Mm. So there's going to be this frustration. Totally. What leads from that is innovation. Yeah. We just have to be patient for that. And we have to talk to each other. And we have to want to do the right thing. Yes, the government regulations are going to come in. And they're going to be painful. And they're going to be annoying. And we're going to be annoyed that 9% of things get recycled. Yeah. 9% of things get recycled. It's better than zero. Yeah. And it's a way to get to the next level. Yeah. How do we keep getting better? How do we keep improving? Just keep the progress. Thank you guys. Lucy, can you shed some light on any initiatives that Australian companies can sign up for? Yeah, definitely. So the most prominent one globally, but also in Australia, is probably the science-based targets initiative. So if a company is signed up to that, that is it's one of those things, a ratcheting mechanism where you are committing to a pathway to net zero emissions within a period of time and that is it's sector wide so you have a carbon budget of emissions that sit with your sector so maybe you would probably sit within a manufacturing sector and your organization would work with the science-based targets initiative to determine what is achievable in the short term but where do you need to get to in the long term because everyone would have heard of like net zero 2050 but mm. in order to get to net zero 2050 we need to get to 50 percent emissions reduction by 2030 and what that means for your business for every single business here is seven percent emissions reduction year on year starting today what does that look like and how does that play into your plastics and that kind of mix of your packaging and your manufacturing that kind of thing so science-based targets is one the more holistic initiative Shay mentioned before is like the B Corp certification process that is not specifically looking at your carbon emissions or your climate footprint it is looking at your entire supply chain the makeup and equity of your business and how you do business and that kind of thing so B Corp is another one but I think that the most important thing regardless of certification because a lot of them are a bit greenwashy mm. and involve things like carbon offsets which are not helping us solve the climate crisis the most important thing is like the intention of your business who's in the business what are you trying to do you're trying to sell more stuff and add a green badge onto it or you are you trying to do the right thing and therefore if you're trying to do the right thing all of those initiatives you don't have to sign up to them you could actually take the money that you're going to pay to be a part of those initiatives and put that money back into your business and like innovating and figuring out what the solutions are. I'm not sure that's a very popular stance, but mm. that's my personal. It's a great rundown. I'm gonna give you guys a little piece of something that I found really useful when it comes to explaining this to business owners as well. At the Mulberry Group, we've got a coffee roastery called Square One, and 10% of all of our net profit goes to our farm, which is called the Common Ground Project. And it's basically a not-for-profit farm that basically focuses everything on regenerative agriculture. And when we're actually selling our coffee, this is something that we talk about with business owners and really obviously we before we go to anyone we qualify them make sure that it's something they're interested in but every so often you go speak to a business owner and they'll just be like yeah the positive impact stuff mate i don't care about it and it's ridiculous how many times i've actually heard that and 
The thing that I try to say back to those people is like, hey, you know what, you might not, okay, but you cannot ignore the growing segment of customers that do care. And if you're not providing that, then you're not gonna trap them. So it's relevant about what you care about and what you don't. You're here to service these people, right? And your staff care and your customers care, and that should be the thing that you really focus on. Hey, Jess, I'm, I think we've only got time for one more, and then we're gonna to throw to you guys for some questions, so start thinking of some. Jess, can you tell us, like, why is branding important to the survival of a business? Just a nice, easy one to finish on. <laughs> Look, your brand is your business personality or its identity. It's incredibly important. That helps you stand out from your competitors. It also helps you are doing well to attract your customers and retain staff as well. So branding is incredibly important in most industries, as I mentioned before, particularly in hospitality. It is something we know that helps sustain if you're going to be potentially going to be successful or not as well. But one of the really important things I need to know with brand is it's what people buy into. It's an intangible piece of your business, but it's potentially one of the most important pieces. So it's really important to understand that putting the effort and doing your brand, making sure your brand represents your values, making sure it's talking to the audience base that is correct for your particular audience, is really important to do and to get that right and to do that research and to do that brand strategy to understand that. And then make sure that you're portraying that out. If in the future you decide to sell a business, and this is any business, your brand is what's gonna help bring that price of that sale up as well. It's a huge piece of equity into who you are, but it is your identity and you can create amazing products, but they are, ultimately there's many people out there who are producing a very similar product as well. So what is it about you that's different and make sure your brand helps support that. Amazing, thank you. Okay, to finish with, Gary's gonna recite a poem that he wrote about the planet. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, I get that wrong. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna go straight to questions. Who's got a question for these amazing experts? Is that the, hit us? How do you see the future in terms of five, ten, twenty years from now? How, what do you want to see in the future in the packaging? Yeah. Do you want to direct that at one of them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, look, I'd like to see, I think where we are is really new and really fresh and I'm going to say potentially it's a bit raw still. I think it's a reactionary piece to the legislation and to the change that we need to make. So I'd like to see in five years time we've got these products that are doing the right thing. They are absolutely doing the right thing from the climate perspective and they are compostable and we know that the emissions are actually going to be supportive of that. But I'd love to be able to see that creativity, that branding, that packaging design be at a super high level. And that potentially that product that we are using to make that isn't affecting it. So that would be, I think that'll come. I have no doubt that it'll come. There'll be a demand for it, for sure. So I think that's what I'd like to see is it. But I want to see innovation. I want to see change. I want to see disruption. And I think we're in that space right now. And I think as we go through it, we'll come up with some really exciting ideas and we'll see some really great things coming to market and be able to play with. Can I jump in? Please, I was just going to ask. What was your name, sorry? Harkim. Harkim. I don't have an answer to that question. I think Jesse's answer was brilliant. I was just going to say that to think 20 years from now, I go back 20 years, maybe 30 years, and I just think of like fish and chips, getting fish and chips out of the chip shop. And it was like wrapped in newspaper. And that was such a pure experience of eating food and the memory of having that food and how it was packaged with like with my family and that became like a part of the culture didn't it and that like when someone was involved in some kind of tabloid scandal that that phrase even came out of it, it was like it's tomorrow's fish and chips and that's what I like I think of that when I'm trying to imagine like where can we go for the future, but that's where we came from. And it's almost like, what would that look like but 20 years from now? It's not gonna be wrapping our food in the newspaper, but we've been there and done it, so we know. That's all I got. That's Sorry. cool, that's <laughs> awesome. Question, yeah, it's funny, because you, when you think about a horizon like that in five-year increments, it's easy to go, 25 years, that's fucking, that's ages away, but it's not. It's if we hit 10 billion people by 2050, we're gonna run out of food. So it's, it's now and a lot can happen in that time. And something that's really struck me 
is I think about my kids. And something that's really interesting, right, is if I go around to my mum and dad's house and it's a little bit cold, instead of my dad just putting on a jumper, he'll just put the heater on. And when I'm like, dad, just put on a jumper. He's like, it's my house, I'll do what I want. So that generation, that's the attitude, right? Whereas my four-year-old son, I remember sitting down with him, unpacking a new toy, we we're gonna play with it. And I was like, hey, go put this in the bin before we start playing with the toy, like the wrapping. And he takes it over and before he puts it in the bin, he goes, is this recycling? And I was like, yeah, we didn't teach him that. <laughs> so it's just amazing to think like generationally that change is gonna happen as well. Yeah. My two primary school kids, they come home and they'll tell me about something. Yeah. And they'll really educate me on it, and they are. It's inbred in them, and what they're learning in the way they're doing things. Mm. Like, it's amazing because mm. I could sit there in the car and I will have the heater on waiting for the football game to finish or whatever. Right. It comes through, and the other kid will be like, "Yeah." You're using emissions. Love that. Love that. But it's it, they are coming up, and they're going to be really just on the way that they've been brought up and mm. just on the things that they know so young, they will create a really exciting future. Yep, the tipping no point's coming. Ready to yep, amazing. Gary, Sean, anything you guys want to add? Hopefully, guys. Well, the most frustrating part at the moment with the legislation is that each state is at different timelines and it's made it a little bit hard for our business to service clients that are at a national level because companies like to keep their products streamlined. They'll have distribution centers set up everywhere and they want the same products in every store. But when one state's moving so fast with the ban right, and right. Victoria's the last, it just makes it a little bit difficult to, to channel through. That, that's been a bit frustrating. And sure. Then, but Do in you 20 get the years, rising probably, tide though? Like rising tide lifts all boats so does the wa regulation mean that your victorian businesses have moved quicker if, or if they're a national yeah business, have yeah great point quicker? yeah so then in that aspect yeah they'll all try and streamline the same products mm -hmm. but then it might not fit into a budget for that state mm -hmm. because plastic is so cheap now we've converted everyone's gone to papers more expensive there's a 30 percent increase price there of one product or mm. so that might not be allocated for right in a state budget but it does pave the way but in a sense on the front way, line yeah. there's a this is a super unfair question but does, why was victoria last anyone got any thoughts on that yeah classic all right nice in a bubble in Melbourne and we can get complacent because we yep. think it's all right Adam Bant's gonna save everything mm. and so then maybe stuff doesn't happen as he will that. save everything though <laughs> <laughs> awesome I'm gonna skip you Sean if that's okay has someone got another question I'm gonna go down the back there <laughs> nice To be honest, they're not conversations I usually have with venues. Yes. Usually the conversations I have if I look at a startup brand is like, how many seats can we fill into this space? <laughs> to make money to therefore be sustainable and make sure we can have a profitable venue. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not conversations of like, how many waste bins do we need to fit into the back of the house? I wish we could do that. The joke that Gary and I were having yesterday was about home compostable and commercially compostable. And what the hell does that even mean? Yeah, go for it. Probably educate. But it's probably not the question I'm getting at the, at the moment, yeah. but I'm trying to direct people to when we're thinking about a brand and when we're talking to great designers, like principal designers, part of that as well. Like when we think about packaging, what's the end? What's the end in mind? Let's think of the end in mind. Consumer-led. Like how do we think about the waste stream? But it's unfortunately not the question I'm having a lot at the moment. Detmark yeah. introduced that a while ago, a few years ago, to run with Woolworths composting and recycle wool yeah and they abandoned it after not even one month really it didn't work
Wow, that bombed hard. Yeah, consumers weren't following the process. It was just an abomination. Yeah. Bad. Okay. In terms of home composting and commercial composting, just quickly, home, comp home composting means you can place the product, the packaging item into your soil, um, and then the organisms that live in the soil, bacteria, fungus, whatever, it just the product will break down within 180 degrees, but it needs to be at a certain temperature. Hey, can I just say, so home composting means you can chuck it in your garden. You the other one, garden, the other one means soil, you can't. Bury it under the soil. Yeah. It doesn't mean home down. composting that gets collected by the council. Sorry. It doesn't mean your home. Composting. No, they're different. They're different. They're different. And every council has different regulations as well, yeah. just to make it super so easy. Some of the products I've got on the table there, the sugar cane and the pastel coloured cups and a wooden cutlery, you can bury that in your soil in your backyard and after 180 days it'll break down into landfill and enrich your soil. But it does need to break down under a certain temperature of 20 yeah. to 40 degrees, whereas commercially compostable is able to break up plant-based plastic such as PLA and shed the plastic and make sure that it is composted at that steady temperature yep. and just the process is a lot smoother and refined. Got it. Yeah, real quick, because we've got lots of questions. The other point that I'd like to talk about with venues is not only the consumable, like what we give to a customer, like a coffee cup or a takeaway tray or something like that, but when our ingredients come in, how are we dealing with that waste? Because there's so much plastic right. involved in it. And when I think back to 25 years ago when I started, and the one reason I love bakeries so much is one, because I started in bakery, so it's nostalgic for me. And the second one is people interact with them so much that they're a great motivator to change. And when I think about Bakes Delight when I started 25 years ago, a person used to, a customer used, a regular customer used to come in once a week for a value pack with a calico bag and spent 20 bucks. And we didn't use to give them very much plastic at all. And it was really smart. And then they didn't come to us very much. So you think about the amount of petrol fumes and all those kind of things from coming to us. And now when I walk and look past the Bakes Delight store or any other bakery, there's so much plastic that's pre-bagged on counter, all that kind of stuff now makes me feel nauseous. And I know what is back of house as well, there's just so much plastic packaging around things like cheese and nuts and seeds and all these other stuff that needs to be done because we need to hold food products longer in order to keep them shelf stable for longer because we need to get them from overseas because that's the cheapest way to get the product in to keep the product down for consumers. So there's so many things which we're actually, you guys actually don't see unless you're working in a venue level, that we also need to change at the same time as we do the stuff that we can see, like coffee cups and, and trays. Yeah, thanks man, that wasn't very with, quick, but. With that being said, look at garbage bags. Yeah. They're made out of plastic. Yeah. They're not compostable. Right. Yeah. Who's got another question? I'm gonna go with, down the back there. I am a full-on brand evangelist, like I love branding and the, my heart is, no, you could never over-brand something, but in terms of what we are ultimately trying to do in building a better world, maybe we need to think differently about how brands show up in the product and all of the different brand touch points like how they come together so that not everything needs to be exhibited as branding on packaging I don't know like there's different there's other ways that we can innovate to ensure that the experience of the brand happens in and around and outside of the product that's a really good question. I don't have a good answer to it. I'm going to keep thinking about it. And one day I'll find you and I'll send you a <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, go with you. What are, or are there repercussions of using all the paper and wood? What about the trees? And is there less, is it a less of a repercussion than you could What do you think? Lucy's got a great answer to this. What was it called? <laughs> em emissions, emission blindness? It's got, is it? 
there's this concept called, I described it as energy blindness, but energy I'm going to say energy awareness that we can't try to teach people about. And it's this idea that energy from fossil fuels or from renewable energy, whatever form energy takes, goes into making everything that you touch, everything that you wear, everything that you eat and drink out of. Energy exists in everything. So there is always an energy cost. There is always, yeah, there's always going to be trade-offs. And plastic is like the worst, but like everything has its, has its impact and so we need to be thinking about yeah every kind of everything in our lives although saying this I'm sitting here I am literally I feel like I'm single-handedly keeping Lego in business because I have a four-year-old child and then we are like bringing so many plastic bricks into mm. our house and at the same time I'm on a stage literally talking about minimizing plastic but yeah so some things are better but there's always going to be a downside, yeah. a trade-off. Thank you. Bad news is we're over time and we have to wrap it up. The good news is these guys are all going to stick around so you can ask them more questions just around the room. And they've all been given drink cards as well, so get them to buy you one. <laughs> can I just say massive thank you to Principal Design, massive thank you to you guys. You've been amazing. Can we just get a round of applause for our amazing experts? Amazing. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks very much, everyone. Yeah, cheers, guys. Thank you. <laughs>